We're back on Date with the Night, and I'm very honored and excited to be speaking with an artist who really helped define the DIY sounds of the 2000s and who has recently released her first full-length album in 12 years, Sunshine Factory. Today, I'm joined by none other than Anna Catherine Hartley, aka Uffy. How are you today, Uffy? Hey, I'm really good. It's actually my daughter's 13th birthday today, so a special one. So is Scorpio or? No, Libra. Libra. Okay. I love Libras. <laughs> well, happy birthday to her. Thank you so much for coming on the pod on your uh, daughter's birthday. Of course. You don't understand how like thrilled I was when I found out, I think it was back in December, that you were releasing a new album. I want to start off by talking about your early music. Your first album, Sex Dreams and Denim Jeans, was so different in terms of sound and even the tonality of your voice to what was out there at the time. And I, mm -hmm. I always felt like you pioneered a new type of sound and was super influential to artists of the 2010s. What were your musical influences growing up? So I grew up traveling and living in many different countries. It was a mix between my parents' music, like... Talking Heads, David Bowie, Bob Marley, Eric Clapton, and then me discovering MTV as a kid when we moved to the States for a bit. Ludacris, I got really into eventually like Two Live Crew, Miss Kitten and the Hacker, Bone Thugs and Harmony. So it was a pretty eclectic. And when I moved to Europe, I kind of got more into techno and was able to go out at a young age there. So I, the club scene, I guess, just really blew my mind when I was around 15. You were studying fashion in Paris at the time when you were kind of testing the waters of creating music. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of. I was going to high school at the international school and put on a event for a denim company in my double life <laughs> and kind of got to know a lot of DJs then and quit school to start fashion school when I was about 16. And that's when Pop the Glock started to happen. That's so amazing. Like you were so young when that all kind of began for you. Like how did you start making music? What's the story behind that? So it all started with Pop the Glock's first release on Arcade Mode, which was a label that released 100 vinyls a month on a blue 7-inch. It was a friend of ours label, Emil, and Feeds had asked me to kind of do a version of this song by Audio 2 called Top Villain. And we really redid the whole song, but I kind of was just listening to that for a bit of the structure and whatnot, because I'd never written a song. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. It was just kind of what I thought was cool, like sounded dope and words that went really well together. And I loved writing, but it was, you know, my first time with the song. So just kind of made that when we went in to record it. I was so scared to sing that it just ended up more in a rap style and I just loved the auto-tune vocoder effects so we put some of that on there and it was supposed to be it with that but I wanted a MySpace music profile like all my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I uploaded it and the rest is history from there. Pop the Glock was like part of this underground club music that was becoming viable because of MySpace and the MP3 blogger world. And mm -hmm. it was still DIY and like less pervasive. Like, can you tell me how you felt when Pop the Glock was first released on MySpace and kind of blew up? It happens really fast. I just remember suddenly there were thousands of streams to like millions pretty quickly and it was just wild. But there was also no point of reference for me to really base that on because it was my first release. Yeah. I didn't know like what was normal. 
I think really in the center of it, you know, it's hard to like see what's going on around it really. So it just happened really fast. Yeah, you went viral before that was like sort of even a term yet. Yeah. You were propelled to stardom and fame like relatively quickly. But that made you like subject to a lot of critics that weren't accepting of this new kind of music or even how this music was being released. Yeah. You were navigating uncharted territory. How old were you at the time? I was probably like 16 when it all started. Oh my gosh. I mean, people were mean then on the internet. There were so many blogs. I just remember like Googling myself and seeing people talking shit about me for how like how pale I was or like how I looked and... It was crazy because I was a 16-year-old minor. Yeah. Looking back, I think people are a little more well-behaved on the internet now. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of like love and encouragement as well, but it was a double-edged sword, you could say. Yeah. Me and my friends, we all loved your music. When we first heard Pop the Glock, we were like, what is this? We need more <laughs> of this, you know? So I wasn't paying attention to any of the critics at the time. It's more looking back now that I see kind of what it was like for you as a 16-year-old. And I'm sure you have a lot of like mental toughness just going through that at such a young age. You filmed that music video in two parts while preparing yeah. to give birth to your daughter. Like that's punk rock. Like that's so sick. I just love to keep things interesting, you know? Right? That's incredible. Like what was the inspiration while writing that song and even shooting the music video? The lyrics are so amazing. Like fastest, uh, what is the lyric? Fast like uh, Twista. Fast yeah. <laughs> even though like it's a slow song. But that's such an amazing lyric. Like it's funny and it's like what makes the song so great. Like what was the inspiration behind those lyrics? I mean, again, it was the first song I wrote and I I didn't really even imagine like a hundred people hearing it. So there was this beautiful naivete to it where I just didn't second guess anything. I didn't worry about anything and I just had fun. And I think I was kind of pulling from my two identities being half British, half American, Florida, grime music, and just kind of lyrically having fun with that. I was just a bit of a punk when I was a kid and just kind of had fun, like letting that bad bitch side come out and not thinking about it and just being really fearless with it. Yeah. You know, it was just what I thought was cool at the moment, again, not overthinking. And the video was an amazing experience. The majority of it is filmed in the house that Boogie Nights was filmed in, actually. Yes. And the owner of the house is the intro of the video. But Natalie Congiam did that one. We did a ton of my early visual work together. She's an amazing director. So we shot the first half, and I think we just wanted to, like, really, like, exude and zone in on just the scene of, like, me and my friends and what it was like at that moment. And again, living in it, you didn't realize... It was really that interesting. But looking back, it was definitely a cultural moment. But I did become pregnant halfway through the video. And I remember when we were shooting apart, they just noticed that my body had changed a bit. Yeah. They're like, okay, we can't get away with this. We're going to have to put a pause on it. So I had to go back, like, get in shape really fast after giving birth and just dive back in. It would have been cool, actually, if you were pregnant in it, too, I think, personally. Right? But, you know. I think so, too. But at that time, we weren't as PC and <laughs> accepting. It's incredible, your story, and, like, just how much you accomplished within that time. Like, 
you know, you have someone like Cardi B who was pregnant during the release of one of her albums. And I saw her pregnant at Coachella and it was amazing. Oh, I would want to like give her a big hug because like it was accepting, more accepting when it was happening for her. But yeah, for you at that time. It, it was like a very bad thing to like yeah. be a woman and have a kid. Yeah. But, you know, you can have both the kid and your career and make great music. And you came out with your album like pretty much after you gave birth. Is that correct? Yeah, like very quickly. I think we started the press run like three months after. And it's such a great album. I've listened to it front to back so many times. Oh, thank you. I'm actually trying to do a DJ set soon and I'm incorporating your songs from that album as well as your new album. Oh, sick. But a lot of music from that MySpace era has been lost forever, which is kind of sad like obviously there's copies of that music that made albums and stuff like that but there's some remixes and stuff that mm -hmm. are gone forever like is there a track from that myspace era that you can't id or you can't find anymore i'm really ashamed to say i cannot remember the title <laughs> i know there was so much on there that was so amazing and magical and i remember the day it was all lost and i like i can't even remember it now I think DJ Meddy did a remix of Holla Back Girl. Oh my God, <laughs> yes! I remember. I can't find that anywhere. I wish I could hear that again. Yeah. There's some remixes of your music that I remember on there that I can't remember who did the remix and I can't find it anymore. So it's a shame, but it's nice to still have people looking at that time again and the remix mm -hmm. culture and seeing what was so influential beyond just that era. There is something kind of appropriate as well about it all being lost in a sense, because, you know, like during that time, nobody had their phone out taking photos. Everyone was really free to be in the moment, be their most savage self in a sense, and just really be present. So there's something kind of cool about certain moments of that. You just had to be there. Yeah. Your friend Claire, who I've talked to quite a few times over DMs, <laughs> organized this party called People Are Germs, and they were prominent through 2004 to 2009, I believe. And you've kind of described it as the peak of it all and looking back on the photos of like you in the bathtub <laughs> with the klaxons. And I've been waiting for that photo to stop. <laughs> There's such great photos and you could tell everyone's having like such a good time. And what were those parties like and what was the appeal behind them? For me personally, I met Claire and um, her partner, Juliet from People Are Germs really early on. I think it was one of my first sonars. We did an after party that they put on. And I just remember DJ Meddy ending his set with the Ronettes, Be My Baby. And all the lights turned on. There's a photo of this. We are like babies. It's wild. But I just loved Claire meeting her there. And then she would bring me out to London for certain parties. We just became best friends, but like there was something really dope about just a woman throwing these parties. And there was like a very safe, loving environment in those nights. And we were all there for the same reason. It was such a passion and dedication to that like lifestyle and bringing a good time to people. There was a naivety to it and just a lot of magic. And, you know, London discovering the party scene through there and these amazing parties was just really iconic for a youth, I guess, to go through. I wish I could have gone to one of those parties. Maybe we can throw one last one. <laughs> oh, you should. Please, please do it. And please invite me. That would be my dream. 
your DIY and kind of viral beginnings paved the way for like a lot of artists. Like there was so much that was influenced by your music, by your aesthetics. And when Hyperpop first emerged onto the scene, like I could kind of hear a lot of blog house connections and influences and a lot of similarities to your music. Just even today, listening to our song off your first album and Ricky, and there's a lot there that comes to mind when I hear a Hyperpop song. A lot of blog house producers have even gone on to produce music for Hyperpop artists. Do you notice any similarities between the two genres in terms of overall aesthetic or sonic direction? Definitely. I think what I found like exciting about PC music as well as blog house is the freedom and fun that you feel and hear in it. There's, you know, fun vocal effects. Um, it's not respecting classic structure. It's a bit genre bending within its own genre, mm-hmm. which I think was such a magical thing about the blog house era was that freedom, the collision of collaboration, just messing with vocals, not having to have the structure. And I think PC music is kind of like a next generation version of that. Yeah, I definitely feel that too. And, you know, I always wondered even back in the day when listening to your music, listening to Justice, any kind of French touch music like Ed Banger Crew, I was always like thinking in my head, I wonder what is going to kind of be inspired by this, what will come next as an evolution of it. So it's really cool to potentially hear those like connections and see how far it's come from then to now. Definitely. Your new album, Sunshine Factory, it sounds different than Sex Dreams and Denim Jeans, but it still has that like uffy ethos to it. It still has that vibe. How did you come up with the name for your new album, The Sunshine Factory? I kind of have this like concept and word bank that document that's just constantly going of words that don't make sense together, but I know at one point they will. I'm a very like visual creator. I kind of like to see things before writing them out or, you know, making them into reality. And I just love contradictions and double entendres that I... Just love this idea of like a brand song, something that had this gray rainbow called Sunshine Factory. There's something about it that just sums up a lot of my aesthetic to me. And I didn't know what it was going to be. And I was sitting on it for a while. And when this record started to form, I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is the Sunshine Factory. And it was just the right time for it. Coming out of the pandemic, I was really hoping like we were going to get more music that was just like celebratory and just has something that'll make you like want to go and dance or want to go out and have fun. And I really feel that with Sunshine Factory. I love listening to it. What was it like putting this album together in the midst of the pandemic? Really surreal, but also helpful. Like, I mean, writing happy songs, I find is actually way harder than writing a sad song. Like it's very easy to you know, be poetic or like wallow in all the feelings that are negative. And it's a lot harder during especially a hard time to rise above that and make something uplifting. But I think we needed that escape. We all did. Reality was so at our front door for some of us, literally. I mean, we couldn't even leave the front door. Yeah. I had started it with Cool, and it was the first song that was really just kind of like different and exciting to me. Like, oh, this is something I want to chase and pursue and build around. So I think just creating during a time where Nobody knew I was making an album. If I decided I hated it at the end, that's it. No one had to know. There was no expectation or pressure of like a label or dates or anything like that to put it out. 
And as well, like, I didn't have to show up to, like, songwriting sessions or anything. You didn't have to be anywhere. There was just this complete freedom. Yeah. Which is a weird word to use for that time. But there is this creative freedom. And I think it's the fastest I've made a body of work. But it was also just the most organic. And everything from, like, the demos to touring was part in it just happened so naturally that it was really a pleasure to make. What was it like working with Toro y Moi and like LaCoy on Sunshine Factory? It was so dope. I'm a big fan of his. He's such a genius to me. And we had kind of worked a few years earlier and nothing really came of it. And I had done all the demos in Portugal. I was just there for two weeks, wrote all the lyrics, started all the demos that are on the record. And I was going to text him that I wanted him to feature on one of the songs. And he hit me like that same day to talk about the old songs we'd made. And I just said, hey, like I've got to play this for you. So I ended up when I came home going to Oakland where his studio is and just playing it. And we just started fucking around with all the songs and I just kind of reproduced the whole record from there. That's amazing. The first thing I kind of noticed when I first heard the album was like the bass seems like so important, especially on the first half of the album. The tone is nice and tight and all the bass lines really drive and give the album a lot of momentum. And I was reading that you were using a lot more live instrumentation in this album. Yeah. Whereas previously is a lot more electronic. Like what was the decision for that? I just wanted to do something different for me that was a bit more challenging. And I think a big part of it as well was really wanted to have a kind of step into the door with something I didn't have to play at three in the morning in nightclubs. Yeah. While I loved that existence of Uffy, like I wanted to try something different and to have like a new live experience. And Chaz is so talented at playing every instrument. We were just like messing about seeing what worked and he would just jump on and he plays the majority of instruments on it. I love it so much. I'm trying to learn bass. This is the thing that I picked up during the pandemic. So I'm trying to learn where does the party go as well as uh, what's the other one I'm trying to learn? Cool. Yes, cool. So we'll see how it goes. So how that one happened was <laughs> the producer on that, Lasse Lokoy, he started as the bassist for this Norwegian punk band. So that kind of was probably actually the original like intro to mm, let's play more with live. I just can't wait to see you in concert performing these songs. Like I knew you were supposed to come to Toronto and I hope to see you some other time. I was supposed to see you back in the day and I didn't get a chance because I was supposed to go with a friend, but then she got sick and then my parents were like, we're not letting you go on your own. And I was like, damn it. I mean, probably wise of them, but... <laughs> I would have been good. My parents could trust me. I just wanted to really go and see you. How are your performances? Like, what was the idea behind how your performances would come about with your new songs off of Sunshine Factory? So, I mean, in a dream world, you have your full bands, but touring is really hard right now. Like, yeah. with the economy, you know, bringing out the whole team is really hard. So I've been doing most of them with my bassist and co-producer, Lokoi. And I've been working with a friend of mine called John Sampson, who is an incredible graphic designer and visual artist. So we, we work together to create a literal factory where there's like five hallways with five suns and he renders them. So they have like this bit of 3D effect. So we've tried to like create it coming out this way, but I would love to add a drummer for bigger festivals. 
Yeah, it's a shame what's going on with concerts, like just even with Santa Gold having to it's cancel crazy. her tour. Yeah, it's and now Animal Collective. Yeah, I know it's not fair, and yeah. that's what we need now more than ever. So it's sad to kind of see that that's how it's going right now. And I hope like somehow it corrects itself soon, or there's just I don't know what could be done, but humanity will suffer. Yeah, like we need that escape, and like we need to dream and be inspired and just escape life for a minute. So I mean, yeah, something's got to give, right? <laughs> yeah. Back to some of the songs off your new album, like Domino's has like this, like, I think you even mentioned it yourself, like this ska punk vibe. Yeah. <laughs> that ska punk kind of music that was even popular in the 2000s. Like what kind of inspired you to go that direction? What's extra funny about this one is that the demo version from The Week in Portugal has strings and is so different. So when we, I was going through all the songs with Tori Moi, we just kind of, he's like, what do you want to do here? And I just thought, why don't we try a ska song? Like, how funny would that be? And he was like, okay. And he just like jumped on the drums and just kind of started jamming. And I just loved the energy of it. And like my soul, it's very punk. It was just really fun to live out that moment of my youth as well. Like when I listened to that kind of music and it just felt right. And I love, again, contradicting factors. That's such a part of who I am. You know, the lyrics with like Mary Poppins and tea yeah. with a ska bass line. And it was, it just turned out great. Their video for it, I really love too. Now, I don't know how true this is. I read it somewhere and then I couldn't find it later that you said it kind of pays tribute to Andy Warhol. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I'm a big Warhol fan, like everyone. And I think something that's exciting about his art to me is the same kind of ties into Bloghouse, just like genre bending, defying, taking inspiration from this scene that's just around you and that doesn't feel like that glamorous or incredible and kind of making it into that, the nitty, the gritty, but also like the glittery. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been saying that it kind of feels Warholian right now. So I think you really have your finger on the pulse of something that is like coming up in our culture. Mm -hmm. And I even was reading some reviews of your performances from back in the day. And like there was, I think, a performance of yours. I think it was at South by Southwest in 2007. Oh, yeah. yeah. Described it as Warholian. And then, you know, I was watching this video. I posted it to my Indie Sleaze Instagram page like last year, actually. And it's from 2010, like a Dim Mac Tuesday event called Reoffice-based. I don't know if I said that right. Does that ring a bell? Cinespace? But it was like called something else. Like it had like a play on your name. Oh, amazing. I didn't even know about that. <laughs> Maybe I've got it wrong, but you invite the crowd on stage because you say you want to like make it feel like a house party. Yeah. And that felt very much something like of Warhol, out of Warhol mm -hmm. type factory parties. And it's really fun and it's really cute to look back on too because like you have this energy about you and it just gets everyone so amped. There's just something to me that like I've never been super comfortable with like flattery or being in a different zone kind of than my fans. Like they're the reason you're there and you want to have fun together. And there's something just really comforting to me about being like, okay, everyone be on stage, so I'm up by myself. <laughs> and, you know, it was fun. And I remember DJ Medi was the one who taught me how to kind of MC and talk to people and just like be a human on stage, not just stand there stagnant between songs. And that kind of ties into that DIY world. So much about being an artist is collaboration, the people around you, we all take inspiration from each other. And 
it's nice to like live that moment live and to let the crowd be a part of that because they are. No, I agree. That's why I so badly wanted to go to your concert back in the day. And even now, like, I, I still just, bring people on stage. That's so amazing. <laughs> It reminds me even like Peaches. I just went to see her show recently and she like crowd surfs. I'm dying to see it. You should definitely go. Like it's such a great show. And, you know, I would even love to see like both of you doing some sort of concert together. That'd be really cool. I mean, I could die happy then. (laughs) You know, you have that interlude with Peaches on Sunshine Factory, which I love. It's funny and it kind of harkens. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. And it harkens back to like some of the things that I found very fun about your lyrics on your initial album. And, you know, there were comparisons when you were starting out between you and Peaches. Like, what's your relationship like with Peaches? I first met her at this festival or conference called Miami. It was in Miami, the Winter Music Conference. And that was just probably one of my first runs, like being out, just popping up in random parties, doing a song, networking. And Peaches, that's where I met her first. It was probably like 2007, maybe. And I just remember her being so nice, so approachable, so just like fucking lovely, but also this badass bitch. And she was very much not giving a fuck herself. And I find her super inspiring. I wanted to really play into this album as a night at the factory. And part of that is finding your friends and missing those connections. So I decided to go with interludes over features for the majority and I mean, I didn't know like if she would remember me or would be down, but I just hit her up and she just sent it right back and was just really dope to do that and be supportive. You were mentioning that she's so nice. Like you're very nice yourself too. It's kind of my downfall. (laughs) Yeah, people will take advantage, right? Yeah. Even reading old interviews, people are obviously trying to get a rise out of you or trying to get you to say something controversial (laughs) about like a, you know, another female performer or artist Mm -hmm. and you never take the bait. And I think that's something that is really admirable because, you know, this was when Perez Hilton was also like (laughs) super popular. So (laughs) shit talking people on the internet was like it was a, a hobby <laughs> yeah literally you know there's interviews where people ask you they're like oh well do you think that this artist is stealing your style or copying you and taking from you and you never say anything bad you're always just super super nice and just more interested in like creating a community where everyone can kind of have their time to shine so I really exactly. admire that about you and I think that's just incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. Your song, Robot Oof, was used in the 2009 film Broken Embraces, directed by Pedro Almodovar, one of my favorite directors. He's incredible. If you could have a song off of Sunshine Factory featured in a film, who would that film be directed by? Christopher Walken. Amazing. I wanted to get him to do an interlude and it was just too hard. I love him. I am obsessed with him. I would marry him if I could. He's just, everything about that man is amazing to me. And I mean, I just think it would be a great video. He has an interesting voice, just like you do. Like you have a very, very cool voice and I hear that you don't like it. Like you're not fully sold on it. Like you have a hard time listening to your own voice. Is that true? Yeah, for sure. Like the worst for me is I co-write pop songs for pop artists as well now. And I'll try and mumble it to them (laughs) and trying to like sing it out. I'm mortified by my own voice. But I feel like we all have a bit of that. It's like hearing your voice on your voicemail or something you're like do I really sound like that 
Well, what's funny is even just the way you're talking now, like I could tell that you would be in music. You have a really nice texture to your voice. I mean, it's definitely served me in like being able, I think, to do kind of whatever genre I want. And that can be a thread because like if you go with your real tone, it will always be unique to you. No, that's very true. You've mentioned before in an interview, I think it was with Isabella Love Story, that mm-hmm. if you could write for anyone, it would be Tilda Swinton, which I thought was like a very incredible answer. If you could collaborate, though, with one artist, like who would it be? And this could be like anyone past to present. Ooh, either Laurie Anderson or Frank Ocean. What I love about him is, like, I love some mystery. I'm a romantic. I want to scour the internet and try and know more about this person and not be able to. Because the space that that creates as a listener and a fan for me is there's room for interpretation. I can hear their words in a way that I need to as a listener in that moment. And I just think we're so oversaturated with just like so many personal details. Like it's not sexy. It's not romantic. It's not exciting. Yeah. So there's something about him that really fascinates me. And Laurie Anderson, her first album, Big Science, like even the visuals for it, the music videos, it's just so dope. This one woman show with such minimal aesthetic as well as sonics that can be so forward thinking but as well just like still fresh i i think they're both really brilliant minds oh i would love to see both of those collaborations i'm gonna manifest that somehow i I was about to say let's just start manifesting (laughs) let's just start telling people it's happening and then it'll just become a thing it'll eventually (laughs) happen exactly exactly What is the best concert you went to from that era and the best concert you've been to recently? Ooh, probably my favorite concert from that era was, I can't remember the name of a festival, but I was playing it and Daft Punk was also playing. Seeing them live, I mean, obviously legends, but I got to like go and meet them after and they were so nice. It's just really cool, like as a young artist, or I guess at any point, listening to somebody for so long, seeing them in this godlike sense in a pyramid and then meeting them and they are just like these normal French dudes in button-up shirts who are just really kind. And I think it's important for artists to learn you can be both. Yeah, for sure. That was a big moment for me. Recently, I think one of my favorite shows I've been seeing, I was actually on this tour for a minute, is Sega Bodega. His show that he's been doing has these beautiful like feather silk curtains. And I just remember him being behind them for a lot of the songs. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't know this was an option when you're shy. Like there's artistic ways to kind of like hide from the crowd and come out as you're ready and flirt with them. And I love that record that he did and just seeing it live night after night, it was really beautiful and inspiring. Another question that I've always wondered, and I've like read things about it, but I don't know how true they are. How did you land on your name, Uffy? There's two stories. Both are true. (laughs) It depends what day you ask my dad. (laughs) But when I was a kid, he would always be like, an Uff, O-E-U-F, in French is a little egg. So he would call me that, and it somehow I interpret it into Uffy. The other one is he would always be like, enough, 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 because I was a bit of a pain in the ass. Oh, that's-, <laughs> that's what I've been called my whole life. And I remember when I was like maybe eight, making business cards, Uffy and Co. at the mall, and just thinking it would maybe be like a fashion house or some kind of empire when I was a little kid. So... When I had to come up with an artist name for 
that one-time arcade mode vinyl (laughs) that turned into everything. It just seemed like the natural fit. I love that. That's so cute. My cat's name is Yuffie, but I call her Uffie sometimes. Yuffie's a Final Fantasy character, but I was like, so similar to Uffie and I love Uffie. But then I was like, I don't know if I want to name my cat after a person. People get weird about that, you know, like they don't, <laughs> like sometimes I meet someone and their cat's name is Olivia. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was an Olivia myself. I'm like, uh, okay. That's incorrect. Yeah. I mean, it's cute. I get it. But it's like, <laughs> that's my name. I'm a person. But yeah, it's such a great name. I love the name Uffie. So leading to some, one of my final questions for you is, you do experiment with a lot of genres. Mm-hmm. Is there a genre that you'd love to play with that you kind of feel that you haven't dipped your toes in yet that maybe in the future you would like to kind of implement on an album or a song? Just to kind of sum it up, my feelings of being able to genre bend is just the cool thing about being an artist is being honest about who you are and what you're feeling in that moment. We're humans. We're constantly morphing, growing, adapting, changing. And I think being true to your artistic self is genre bending. Yeah. So I've always felt like a, I really don't care freedom in that. But I think something I would like to do later in life, I've always wanted to like explore maybe like a Scandi folk type album. Oh, that'd be sick. I can really see you doing that. Your voice would really lend itself to that. Yes. Maybe with like a virtual like children's book that's kind of creepy. But also lately, what I've just kind of been missing is like raving, like good fucking dance music that you just want to rave to. So I think I might be landing there next. I would love to see that. I think you would do that very well. And you've actually like come out with these remixes recently of Where Does the Party Go, Anna Jetson and Sophia. What was it like hearing those remixes? It was really fun. Um, All three of the remixes, remixers, sorry, Ty Sutherland, Alex Chapman and DJ Dave are people that like I know and love I always say if you're gonna do a remix like make the song better or something completely different Mm -hmm. which they did and it was fun hearing these songs come into a world that like I can play them when I DJ and just make it into that fun club world and the queer community has been like a long time my first like supporters yeah and it was really fun to like get to collaborate with really prominent queer DJs and party promoters and whatnot and give them their dues back. If there's another song on your album to be remixed, what would that song be in your opinion? I mean, to me, the wild one that we haven't remixed is cool. (laughs) Maybe I'll give it a go. I'll try. You should do it. The Endious Lee's edit. (laughs) Yeah, it would be fun. I would love to hear that. I wanted to get Thundercat on a remix, but I couldn't make that connection. We got to make that happen. I would love to hear a Thundercat remix of your song. Right? (laughs) I would even love to hear like a a Hot Chip remix of one of your songs as well. Oh, hell yes. Your album really does lend itself to having those remixes made. And I would love to hear even more because it was really fun. Are there any films that kind of inspire you when you're writing music like that you kind of draw from like anything that you watch oh definitely like I have to be able to see things cinematically to create them it's just an important part to me one movie that keeps coming back to me is del toro a tale of tales oh yeah I love how trippy that is anything Gaspar Noe um David Lynch huge fan 
I recently watched Natural Born Killers for the first time. Yes, love that film. And I like loved that. Just the textures in that is brilliant. And again, like I'm sure I'm going to think of 500 as soon as we're done, but yeah. the way it is. Those are some great directors and very indie sleaze, if I might say so myself. <laughs> very much you know, the taste era. is taste. <laughs> it's true. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Of course. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to see you in concert soon. Yes, it will be soon. I promise. <laughs> and for listeners, make sure to follow Ophi on social media at Ophi Official and make sure to check out her new album, Sunshine Factory. It's on all streaming platforms. Keep on a lookout for maybe some of these future remixes. We're going to manifest them. And- yes, and collaborations. Christopher Walken, it's going to happen. Yes, it's good. Christopher Walken, <laughs> we will find you and we will and we get will you. We will find you and we will come to your house. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you so much and see you later. See you later. See you later.